Britain is ruled by fascists, xenophobes, trying to isolate us from the rest of the world. Well, that's at least the plot of this film. V for Vendetta. It's the next episode of Geek Bites. It's me, Rich, and I'm joined, as always, by Stu. Hey, Rich. Um, I mean, I'm not sure about just the plot of this film. I mean, it sounds like the world outside our window at the moment, uh, depending on your political persuasion. Um, but yeah, I think it was quite a timely and poignant uh, choice, this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, we'll see how it comes out in the wash, what we both thought of it. But um, yeah, I think this is our Brexit episode. You know, we probably shouldn't mention the word Brexit because, you know, we'll get blacklisted or something or black bagged as these guys would do uh, in V for Vendetta. But yeah, it's, 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 we thought we'd pick yeah, this because it's kind of... It's slightly weird that the, by the finger men. <laughs> yeah, I didn't... I, I kind of get back in the day, like, you know, or you'd think you point someone else, you're like the finger men. But still, it's a bit of a weird name. Um, maybe, yeah, I suppose, yeah. And also, they were kind of pervy anyway, weren't they, when they attacked Evie? Uh, well, yeah. trying to attack Evie before they were dispatched easily by the hero of today's film, V. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. just on the just on the topic of you know relevance. Uh, I mean, look if if we were if the UK were to go down this route, Brexit would be the obvious first step down that route. But there's a lot more steps to take before we get this far. I think. Then that's yeah. that's about what it is yeah yeah it's kind of yeah. I mean, this is an exaggerated view of what a totally right wing fascist version of Britain would look like, and there's lots of parallels with like Nazi Germany, I think, and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> the finger men are basically the Gestapo, and you know, the police are basically there, but they're controlled by the state, so it's the media and things like that. So, you know, oh, I'm not sure. You know, there's probably aspects of that that are true today, and we'll be discussing that. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're definitely not at that stage yet. And um, Boris Johnson doesn't talk to all of his um, subordinates via a giant twenty foot television screen uh, <laughs> well yet i mean that's the new press <laughs> press briefings isn't it so no one can talk well, that, that will be what will happen when uh, dominic cummings finally uh, rips his skin off and puts it on a mask um <laughs> and Boris mask. exist anymore uh and he'll have to be on a screen to keep up the facade what film was it that did have something oh i remember it was um the one with christian bale who had no emotions what was that film called christian bale i mean that's most of his acting isn't it but um <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't remember that. I don't think I've seen. Oh no, um, yeah, my, yeah, not yeah. Minority Report, but the one Equilibrium. Is that it? Yeah, there you go. Equilibrium. Because uh, yeah. that was one way it turned out. That, sorry, guys, spoilers. But this is an old film. Yeah. That was one way it turned out. The the great dictator was a fake or whatever. I've not watched that film yet, but I don't need to now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've avoided it for this long. Um, probably yeah, because it's, it's not a great film. I'm surprised you've not watched it. Yeah, it's one of those ones when if any people talk about like sci-fi and, and future speculating and whatever, they always talk about Minority Report and Equilibrium as kind of the, the you know, the, 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 the paragons of this sort of, oh yeah, this is how the future will look like. Uh, and this is where sci-fi and HCI meet or whatever. These are the paragons. But I've not, I've not actually watched either of them. Um, so even though it's my specialist subject, I don't really know much about those two. I should really watch them and I shouldn't have admitted to that. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, Minority Report, wow. It's yeah. okay. I think, well, it had Alpha in it, didn't it? She was the woman in the pool uh, that was the sort of uh, psychic person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when she was still, you know, she was weird looking, but in a sort of, not attractive way, but in a sort of wholesome way. You know, she was like the person you wanted to look after. Now she's just a weird looking, horrendous woman that just makes you angry because she's wasted one and a half seasons. Um, 
Anyway, this isn't a Walking Dead podcast. This is a movie <laughs> review podcast, damn it. And we're going to review V for Vendetta and give it the time it deserves. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Walking Dead coming back, just for the record. But, um, but yes, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so, yes, V for Vendetta. One sentence review. Go on, Stu. Hit me. Okay. Uh, it's an exciting and brilliantly written and performed examination of the relationship between the public and the state. It's remarkably uh, poignant uh, or prescient or whatever. Uh, and it was released too soon for it to make an impact. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, my one sentence review was Shakespearean dialogue combined with modern day fight scenes. However, it is starting to feel dated. So it's <gasps> interesting because I, th- yeah, we've got very quite different takes on it. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, know. For me, on. it was kind of, kind of like the cinematography as a whole. It just feels a bit dated. It feels like. It felt like an old pre-MCU comic book film, more like Batman type thing. I don't know if it was just the way it was shot or something, but yeah. Uh, I know, I, I totally get that, because we weren't going to do over impressions because we had quite a lot to cover, them, but, but you know, I did write a lot of it under that section, and this is all around the fact that it does feel dated. Um, yeah. And it's sort of, you know, you when you watch it, it's definitely set in the early noughties, and you can tell that. Um, but because of when it was written and then by the time it got into production and it was made and it was released, it feels more like the late 90s, early noughties, not early noughties, 2010 sort of thing. Um, but I quite like that because I thought it gave it a sort of timeless quality. Um, it's sort of, you know, like Blade Runner is the future from the 80s perspective. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is the future from a late 90s, early noughties perspective. And um, the graphic novel was written in the 80s. I read it in probably the late 90s, early noughties. And that time gap that I, from watching, you know, the graphic novel where that was set and where I was, is the same as watching the film now compared to when it was made, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like, you know, I quite appreciated the fact it was based in a bygone version of the future because I could appreciate it more somehow. Um, and also the, the period it was made was actually closer in terms of technology to the 80s, which is when the original source material was, the graphic novel, than uh, it is now, isn't it? Because you can imagine this film being terrible if they had to worry about the internet and smartphones and you know, all sorts of stuff like that. You know, the whole plot would be completely different. So it, you know, the, the plot managed to stay really focused on the key messages because it didn't have to worry about all the governance of modern technology. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe these days they'd say something like, "Oh, those that nasty government shut down the internet or whatever." Um, yeah, because he, he mentions the interlink, which I'm guessing was their yeah. sort of version of the internet. So it's probably yeah, like you say, maybe they turned it off or they've made the the British version of the internet, which basically says the empire was a great thing or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I totally get it was dated. Like the blokes, uh, the coppers were driving around in a rover, and I don't hate <laughs> them anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's proper British car, you know, um, and yeah, it just felt like an episode of the bill. Some of the scenes uh, in it's, terms of there were a lot of great bit part British actors in there who pretty much there. I looked up some of them pretty much. Their only other parts have been things like the bill and Holby City and stuff. Yeah, uh, so that was quite amusing. It's kind of just like, stale. Go on. All, like all of um, all of the cabinet, uh, those guys who watched uh, the Chancellor's big face. They yeah. were all pretty much Holby City, The Bill, <laughs> well, whatever, the whatever. But, but they're proper, I like the fact that they cast, you know, they didn't transpose this to America or something like, you know, Hollywood tends to do. You know, I like the fact they kept it in England and you kept, and they actually got proper English actors to play English things and not like, 
you know, uh, highbrow British actors, but just jobbing actors that did, can do the, the local accents or whatever, because they all seem to have an accent. Like one of them is Northern Irish, probably a Scottish one or something. They all seem to represent the regions. Um, well, yeah, and, that was the main the main uh, police detective, wasn't he, uh, Stephen Rea? But I think he did mention at one point that his mum was Irish in some way, uh, for some reason. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because so that someone could threaten him or sort of indicate yeah, exactly. he was dodgy or whatever. Um, yeah, it's. But I, I don't know. I, I I kind of I can get where you're coming from, and I can sort of see why it might alienate people, like new younger audience would watch it. But like, what's going on? A, this bloke spouting rubbish, and I don't understand it. And B, where's the internet and Spotify, whatever. you know, it's kind of like there won't be much for them to grasp hold of. Whereas for me, it's kind of a nostalgia trip. I was kind of like, oh, a this reminds me of a Britain that doesn't exist anymore in terms of the <laughs> the past, but also, it, <laughs> but it reminds me of a Britain that's kind of a Britain that doesn't exist anymore, but it could have potentially happened had we gone a different route. So it's kind of a weird yeah. head messing thing. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, but I mean, another thing in my overall impressions bit it's interesting that you can rarely see this film on television anymore you know because uh, you know why i said it was sort of prescient and it's was released too soon for it to make an impact i think if a film like this was released now it would get a lot of media attention because of the fact it's challenging the, the media control and all that stuff whereas back then i think things weren't as bad as they are now in people to public consciousness at least um but yeah, the fact that it's not being played every Sunday night or whatever just goes to show that, um, you know, even though it didn't make as big a splash as maybe they were to flight, maybe the, the media are kind of aware of, we don't want to put this revolutionary film on if people are in a bad mood because, you know, it might send them over the edge or give them the wrong, wrong ideas. It's not on any of the streaming services either, as we found out. It's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime or uh, Sky Movie, Sky Go, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So we had to actually pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I had to pay. The like, funny thing is, you say that, but last Friday they were actually showing it on a uh, Sony Movies uh, at nine o'clock, and I did consider recording it, but you know me, I'm I'm a resolution um, snob, uh, so I wasn't going to watch Sony Movies SD nonsense and have to forward adverts every now and then. So it, it was it was worth the price of admission for me to watch it in how it should have been watched and uh, no adverts. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, to be fair, I put a DVD in my Xbox One uh, and. Before the film even started, you had that um, advert where it showed like you wouldn't steal a handbag, you wouldn't steal a crappy Nokia phone, uh, you know, you you wouldn't steal a film. But piracy is a crime, and it was just like, oh my god, this is how old this film is. They still have that, and they still have people selling bootleg VHS tapes on the copyright advert. It's just like that is, and that's what I mean about this. This whole thing is a relic from a bygone era. That you know, I'm. You know, I'm not only mid thirties, whatever, but I'm starting to be. What's the word? You're Reminiscent or thirties? It's and it's today, isn't it? Because I think it's worth giving you a happy birthday shout out on the podcast. Yeah, Valentine's baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, v for Valentine's. Um, but yeah, and it, 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 I'm starting to feel nostalgic about that that period. So it's it's kind of you know it's just a weird thing seeing that. But like you, I got fed up with the resolution and also I couldn't be bothered to sit in there. It was a thunderstorm when I was trying to watch it. So I couldn't hear a bloody thing in the conservatory, even though I had the volume on like 60, 70. So I ended up downloading it on the tablet anyway and watching it on the commute. And that was a much more comfortable experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, bizarrely. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I think you, you mentioned about having all British actors. I mean, obviously the two leads were non-British. Um, they were from the colonies. 
possibly yeah possibly just to give them uh, a bit of star pull i mean the funny thing is obviously you get hugo weaving who's got one of the most expressive faces in film and you put him behind a mask for the whole thing it's quite uh quite brave in a way but um, he's got one of its most expressive voices as well like that's and, true. It, he, and it was showed his range as a both a physical actor like you know when he was sort of you know doing the sort of slightly feminine bits and then he's opening that show and he's doing his errol flynn and whatever and it just you know i think it gave him the freedom to express himself in ways that if you're just reliant on craggy faced hugo weaving uh you know he, he kind of got to do more with it um and i, I don't i was going to touch on this later but i think it's probably worth saying like when you think about the amount of screen time him and natalie portman had uh, well, Natalie Portman in about two Marvel films and Hugo Weaving in one, Natalie Portman in the whole Star Wars trilogy, I think the pair of them in this were really utilised to their fullest, whereas all the other, the other sort of pop culture films, they've been totally wasted. Like, you can see why he hated being Red Skull, because he was just a cackling caricature that really had nothing to do. Uh, and all she did was basically play damsel in distress. Oh, I'm a scientist, so I'm clever, but basically I need Ford to help me all the time or my little Scooby gang or whatever. Whereas with this, she had like a full emotional range. She went through happy, sad, you know, she had explored psychological issues and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's like proper acting her socks off. Whereas these other other opportunities, just Star Wars as well, what was she? She was basically an amused Anakin. That was all her job was. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, we have to riff on Star Wars for every one of these. Absolutely. Um, but, I but think like, it's, it's easy to forget as well that at the time, she was one of the biggest actors in film she it was, i think she was definitely the big draw for this film i think yeah and that's i, I think that's she you know like uh ellen page not ellen page she's a singer the one that was in um hunger games it's kind of this is but like, natalie portman was that kind of person yeah, isn't lawrence yeah yeah she's basically that that generation is ellen page a singer i think ellen page is an actor oh yeah she played uh what's it kitty pride uh, in that's men yeah, 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 and she but was yeah, yeah. So Natalie Portman was the Jennifer Lawrence of her of her age. Yeah, of her time even. Yeah, it's a good, good um analogy. But yeah. I just, I just, I like you say. I mean, hats off to them in terms of the the quality of their acting and the, the way they work together as well. Like it must be hard for her to act against a bloke in a mask, you know. Um, she did. A, she did. A, she held her English accent up very well as well. I mean, it was a very, very posh cut glass, but she she didn't really let it slip. Uh, yeah but they um you know i think they they indicated that her parents were sort of academics anyway wasn't it so it's kind of like uh oh no was it or her, her, her dad was more of a manual laborer but i think basically they were middle class so that's probably yeah, where yeah. she got the posh voice from um yeah but anyway i, I mean we could wax lyrical about how wonderful these people are uh but maybe <laughs> we should progress to the podcast <laughs> um i mean i'll, I'll just say the the action sequences in this film were very stylistic in a way that I'd forgotten how stylistic they were. Like there was the a few a few scenes where he did just kill a load of policemen or fingermen. Wonderfully and, uh, choreographed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wonderfully choreographed. Um, I'd forgotten how much it was like that. Um, Cause I, I'd not watched this film probably since not long after it came out, um, which was like 14 years ago, I think. Um, and there were a lot of things that I, noticed watching this film that i didn't pick up on or i didn't don't remember picking up on them and i don't know if it's because i genuinely well i genuinely think it's because i've got a lot better at watching films in those 14 years and picking up on stuff like this well now you're a um, film critic well uh <laughs> maybe maybe i was just a bit dumb and always half cut back yeah. in the day um, or asleep well yeah 
yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, as you know. Um, but yeah, I think there was stuff like I, th- I noticed in the opening speech. I think um, there were these clip news clips where they were saying, "Oh, the United States of America is burning and stuff. Oh, they're so rubbish." And I think it was called. Cool. Used all sorts of bad language to describe it, which we won't repeat here. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the first time, I thought, hold on, I bet that is actually a load of nonsense. They're just making that up. And this is Britain is more like North Korea in this <laughs> sense, the way North Korea tells lies about America. And that thought didn't even cross my mind back in the day. But I don't know, maybe I'm more sp- suspicious, more conspiracy theorist as I've grown older. I don't know. I think I think basically when we were younger, we might have been vaguely aware of the idea of fake news. But as we're getting older and older and older, it's become more and more prescient in public consciousness. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I was like, I saw it and I just assumed, oh, that's the state of the world. Like when I watched it the first time round. But now I'm watching it. I'm just, oh, yeah, that's fake news. That's fake news. There's a whole yeah. there's a whole scene where the chancellor is basically saying, you know, um, I want them so scared they'll realise why they need us. And then you have like a bunch of clips of different news things. It's like, you know, avian flu. Um, it's uh, the terrorists are coming. It's America's, um, you know, civil war in America, blah, blah. And like you say, it just you make, it makes you realise how the government in this version of England are basically just using the media to control people and keep them so scared and they're not willing to uh, change the... Well, un- no, they're too scared to to break free of the conformism that has become their lives sort of thing. Well, that's what they're attempting to do um, for all this fake news. They're basically making people in a perpetual state of fear. And when you look at the sort of scaremongering, I mean, hopefully touchwood coronavirus won't be as bad as everyone keeps <laughs> saying. You know, when you look at the scaremongering around stuff like that or like the potential of terrorism and, you know, stuff like that, you're more likely to be hit by a car than be killed by terrorists and stuff. And yet it's always on the public mind. Like if we didn't yeah. have a 24-hour news cycle and people weren't, you know, reporting all this stuff over and over again, people wouldn't be as bothered. But as it stands, they've kind of created this uh, hype and this sense of fear, even in our world, let alone the one, the, the sort of exaggerated version that's on there. So yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. And I think, you know, you mentioned it was Shakespearean in that. And I think when you look at this film, it was like really well written. There was unlike stuff like the fake news and stuff touching on that. It was really well thought out. I mean, what, what I was when I was watching it, and you compared it to Marvel as well. I was thinking they don't make films like this anymore. Like you compared it to Tim Burton's Batman, but that was just camp nonsense. Whereas this was actually quite a well, it was a really a cerebral film, and it kind yeah. of yeah. Well, we still had a bit of camp nonsense. I mean, uh, specifically the fight scenes I'm thinking of. I yeah, mean, but them stylistic, but you could see them as camp nonsense as well. Yeah, but it's kind of uh, and that's and that was the sort of. Uh, the good part of it is it works on two separate levels, isn't it? You've got yeah. when us, you, you as you know, us as sort of dumb teenagers watching it, being, oh yeah, he's cool, he's a revolutionary, he beats people up, and then yeah. us as more mature people watching it and be like, oh yeah, this is really bad social commentary, and I can really I get behind what he's saying and stuff like that. So, you know, I I like the fact that it's got those dual layers to it, and it's kind of, it's not just like Batman, Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, come on. You know, there wasn't any deep social commentary in that film, really, was it? It was just, I don't know, maybe Batman 2, don't throw your deformed child in the sewer or come back and bite you. <laughs> yeah. Or don't throw your secretary out the window or she'll come back and bite you. That was basically as de- deep as it got. Whereas this one's talking about, like, the, the state the, the state control of the media, the state control of the people. Um, I mean, what's mad is how when Tim Burton's, Tim Burton's Batman came out, it was considered gritty. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, every generation, to every generation is a gritty Batman film. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it just gets worse and worse. 
um yeah but it's uh yeah i mean i just i mean like you said like yourself i hadn't watched this film for ages i had it on a dvd i've carried it from house to house where i've moved i've never wanted to throw it away because i've you know this was nominally my favorite film for years and now i've watched it again i'm like yes i can see why it was my favorite film i can really appreciate it why was it why is it no longer your favorite film what usurped it is it a newer film that's usurped it or have you changed your view on it no, it's not, not changed my view. I still have good feelings about the film. I think the other one I say is Gladiator, simply because that's just a beautifully done film. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the other one, like, that, so that's the one I tell people, but then actually it's Avengers Assemble. Uh, right. Basically because it's the fact that, you've, you know, seeing these heroes come together and doing that kind of film when it's never been done before and never been done well since um, was just amazing. So it's like a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing. Um, so that was kind of a childhood dream film. You know, whereas this one's more of a cranial, grown-up, you know, deep and meaningful film. So maybe it's yeah. a bit, probably a bit too dark to be your favourite film. Um, so maybe it's in my top three. Oh, I think I think it's valid choice. Valid choice. So of your favourite film, yeah, give, give us your favourite scene. Well, now that I've said that, I mean, I think my the one I put as the top of my favourite scene because I've got an honourable mention. Uh, it sounds a bit naff now, uh, but there's a bit there's a bit right at the end where um, Evie's in the tunnel. And V says to her, like, you know, uh, you know, oh, I'll leave it to you to decide whether to send the, the train filled with explosives underneath Parliament to blow them up, because it's not my decision. I'm basically off on my vendetta. It's up to the regular people like you to decide. Um, so I like that. And then the copper comes down and catches her in the act. And rather than the copper pulling her up, pulling her up for it, they have a little chat and then they both decide, you know what? Yeah, the country does need fixing. Let's blow up the building and see what happens. Uh, anyway, so... Whilst that conversation's happening, outside you've got a bunch of soldiers standing in front of Parliament and you've got all these people in V-masks walking towards them. And there's this whole tense scene. You're like, oh, God, are the soldiers going to start shooting them? Is it going to be like a Tiananmen Square type situation? And then, um, but then, no, because the soldiers can't contact their sort of command structure and the government's no longer existing, the soldiers will be like, no, actually, sod it. Let's just let them walk past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of... that scene just the whole point of this film is that like you know the population need to decide that the government's wrong and that things need to be better and by showing that it's like the guys with the guns because in a lot of these films the guys with the guns are just like brainless faceless thugs that do what the government tells them to do but at this scene it just goes to show that actually they're people too and it's kind of like you know once they realized they had a choice they chose to for change and you know basically the people in the, the mask and during that scene you had a bit where people were taking off the v masks and you saw like various characters in the film that had either died or whatever yeah, and yeah. it's basically a good metaphor and they said that the, uh, the copper's assistant uh, the sergeant who was the dad uh, no the brother in war of the worlds which is quite a good touch uh, but anyway but yeah, yeah. it just goes to show that ev- v was everyone it's kind of like you know and he was fighting for everyone he wasn't just fighting for himself um I mean, so yeah I- I'll just say about that, it did feel like this film, in a way, didn't trust people to make these connections very well. Because I think just before that, Evie was doing her speech about, oh, but he was a great man. He was that he was all of us and we were all him. And then they do that whole mask reveal thing. I was like, okay, look, you've said it and they've shown it. You can go with one or the other. You need to trust us a bit to make the connection ourselves. It was a little... They have to drum it home. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, but the, the whole idea of people putting their arms down and basically just being human and being members of uh, society 
that was the point, not the whole mask bit. I just mentioned that because yeah. it happened to be in the same scene. So anyway, that was my favourite scene, perhaps. I mean, basically, I wrote my notes just before, and I should have thought about this more. But my other favourite scene, I'll, I'll do my one, and then you can t- tell me yours, was uh, the bit right at the beginning when, when V saves her from the finger men. Finger men, ha-ha. And she's like, who are you? And he's like, who? Who is but to form following the function of what? And what I am is a man in a mask. And she's like, well, I can see that. And he's like, of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking on the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. And it's just like, that's genius. It's just like, you know. You've watched this film a lot to be able to quote that word for word. That's very good. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I really appreciate the film and the, the similar, and Hugo Weaving sing, and I've got it up in word. Um, but <laughs> But it was just like the fact that, you know, it, I just like when I first watched it, it was just gibberish. But then the more and more you listen to it, it's just like, yeah, actually, it does. Why would you ask a masked man who he is? And it's sort of yeah. it's just his poetic way of kind of putting people in their place and whatever. It's just really. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a direct quote from the uh, from the graphic novel, um, which does show what's good about having these things based on graphic novels, which often are quite verbose. Yeah, um, yeah ways like that um so yeah that was cool you have just this huge wall of text appear in a graphic novel which is visually quite arresting um and that's why i think you do get things like that most often in kind of a um uh what's the word a uh, adaptation um so yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah i think you know alan moore's ones are particularly verbose um but alan moore himself kind of after the problem of leave it leave it gentleman basically disowned any films made of his works so he didn't have anything to do with this film yeah, I mean, he's basically retired now. He released the last League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which, by the way, is an absolute mess. <laughs> no sense. Um, right. Well, I couldn't make sense out of it anyway. Oh. Um, I mean, the, the first one was a bit trippy as well, but I suppose it's got probably got progressively worse. I think I read the first one, and I read the one based in the fifties or whatever. Um, um, I, I read the, the third one was actually my favourite, um, but which was Century. Um, but the fourth one, Tempest, was I, I literally couldn't follow what was going on. Who were the pop culture people in that? I, uh, do you know what? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't uh, looking at the characters that appeared in it. I'd, a character would appear, and I would think, "Is this a pop culture person?" I don't know. It's too obscure. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> okay. I suppose the, the closer and closer you got to more modern times, you could probably couldn't find many people that were in public domain, so you struggled struggling yeah, yeah. to <laughs> scratch around in the dirt. It's like, oh, I've got the extra from the bill because he's the only one that can be in this mess. Um, I mean, in the third one, the villain was Harry Potter, which was pretty cool. Oh, really? Or is... a thinly disguised Harry Potter. <laughs> Dave. <Crofter. laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Wow. Oh, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll have to check. I mean, I'll have to check that That's out. That's I did, look. I did appreciate the first one. Um, the second one didn't really like. Uh, I think it just went a bit too weird. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean the first one, touching up, I'm touching up, um, referencing a previous episode, they fought the uh, War of the Worlds tri- tripods, didn't they? Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. But which were being masterminded by M, which was actually Moriarty. It's not M, as in um, James Bond M. No, but he was playing M, as in the head of MI6. But it turns out no, M was actually standing for Moriarty. So they thought they'd been recruited by the government, but in fact they'd been recruited by a super spies villain. Um, anyway, that's spoiling another yeah. film for people. Uh, another <laughs> book for people. Uh, spoilers. Um, but uh, yeah, I like I like that scene under the underground that you mentioned. I think I particularly liked the bit where uh, the detective comes down and he says, 
hey and he sees her standing there he's like hey you're evie hammond and i love this like that. he's literally been chasing her the whole film not actually managed to catch up with her at any point um and suddenly he just comes around the corner and she's just standing there and she's <laughs> that's convenient yeah, yeah. yeah. i just followed some gunfire yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did particularly enjoy that bit. That was quite a well done poetic moment. In terms of like favorite scene, my favorite scene was um, the final battle where he um, where he uh, kills not the final battle, the final confrontation for V against the head of the Fingerman, happening at the same time. It was that gunfire that he followed, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I just thought that was it. again. It was about his dialogue for me. The way he said something like, well, we have two things in common, Mr. Creedy. We are both about to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How do you figure that? With your hands around my neck. With my hands around your neck. <laughs> and, well, yeah, it could be either way. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, um, and then he's like, well, you can unload all your, but you'd better hope that when you run out of ammo, I'm not still standing. And it's, <laughs> it's just so... Uh, dark and then the whole slow motion fight of him actually killing them all before they can even reload it was just cool and stylistic and good dialogue and you know seeing seeing a nasty character get their comeuppance uh, you saw Sutler die in that as well which was good it was just it just ticked all the boxes for me in terms of a good pivotal scene um mostly from a cinematic point of view as much as kind of any of the philosophy of this film which I'm all on board with the philosophy of this film but that was just a fu- uh, well scripted well choreographed well ri- well written well filmed just was good film good good scene for me in the film. Yeah, I, yeah i totally agree i mean that was i mean it, it was just brilliantly done and the idea that this guy could stand there take all those hail of bullets and just by sheer force of will because he wants to kill this guy carry on until he kills him because he's basically like, you know, all I've got to do, the one last job I've got in this world is to kill that guy that killed all yeah. those people at Longhorn or whatever it was and turned me into this monster in the first place. Um, but yeah, and the, you know, you, part of you thinks, why didn't they shoot him in the kneecap? Or why didn't they shoot him in the head or shoot him in the throat or something like that? But, you know, you look past small things like that. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but also, like, you know, there's, there's bits in here where he's throwing blades and it's like, the, the visual effects of him throwing blades in this film, which is probably, you know, obviously CGI, they look better than the visual effects these days. And I think back, basically back in the day, people gave more of a toss and it wasn't just a sort of churn, churn, churn thing. They actually like, yeah, let's make this look real. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. they had they had trace lines, didn't they, when he threw the blades? Um, like trace lines as they went along. I think in a way, in a way, they kind of stylized it a little bit took a little bit of artistic license and that kind of disguised anything that's not quite as good as we can get it these days. Um, yeah. 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 So when I say it, yeah, it looked real in terms of it looked as if it belonged in the scene, but yeah, it was stylistically done because you could see the, the echo and the trace lines, or whatever, but it was yeah. just, yeah, just beautifully done. It's just, yeah. And you know, and I didn't realize, I didn't remember how bloody this was. Like he was cutting yeah. their throats open and blood spewing out. Whatever. I think it was only a 12 or something. So I don't know how they managed that. Maybe yeah. children were less precious in the past. Um, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> but what's that? I said snowflakes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, that was, yeah, very well done scene. And I think it was kind of, yeah, it just summarized the character, really. It's like, no, Evie, I'll let you deal with the whole saving the, saving the country thing. I'm just going to go off and finish my vendetta because, you know, this is what it's been about for me, as well as saving the country. Um, and it's quite 
physical as well. I mean, have you? Did you look over the um, graphic novel preparing for this, or have uh, I didn't. To? I meant to, but I didn't, didn't quite have quite the time to do it. Um, yeah, I no, didn't want to read it. Yeah, no, because I was just wondering if that scene was in it. I mean, probably it probably all played out quite similar. Um, yeah, I can't quite remember. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Sutler did get betrayed in some way. Um, but yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, I mean, shall we move on to our favourite characters? Yeah. Go on, hit me. Okay, so my one was Police Inspector Eric Finch, um, because I I like the novelty of this Rebus-type detective, really sergeant, investigating uh, sort of a terrorist that's threatening the very fabric of the country from an office that looks like it's been borrowed from an ITV drama. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just like every now and then it's just that come in, it's like, how's this going, Gov? He's like, oh, what are you looking at there, Gov? It's like, this is like I mentioned the bill earlier. It's just like an episode of the bill, and it just happened to be following a masked terrorist. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, there's, there's like the fight, and it's such a sort of time capsule of that. And like, you know, it's just you know, just going around, and he's he's basically just a proxy for the audience in the thing, isn't it? You find everything out at the same point as he does, basically. And like the, the way that he's part of the machine of the state, but you could tell from the very start, he basically just doesn't agree with it. I mean, why this random DI is part of the counts, the cabal of people in the shadows listening to something? <laughs> I don't know. How, how was he in there? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you know, he's not been part of any of the conspiracy. He wasn't at Lark Hill. He didn't help the party raise the power. And yet, I mean, maybe they could have alluded to the fact that his predecessor is the DI of the Met got murdered and he had to replace him or something. But yeah, small things. Um, but yeah, I just really liked him. And I mean, he was just a typical... You know, trench coat, mopey face, like slightly worn suit, moping around, drinking coffee, you know, proper like detective thing and like driving his rover as well. So he's proper British, Um, you know, an honourable mention goes to Stephen Fry, who I, I hate him usually especially in films it's just like oh here's the token Stephen Fry cameo whereas this you could see that he was actually a good actor and his character yeah. actually had a point and it's kind of like yeah, this yeah. isn't just a Stephen Fry cameo this is actually a pivotal character that helps Evie on her journey and it's just like when I watch this I'm like my god have I been misjudging this man the whole time you know is it it's not that they're just thrusting him in there as a cameo it's because he's actually a good actor um, yeah, absolutely. And he didn't try to play it for comedy or laughs at all. Well, obviously he was playing a comedy like uh, James host. Corden sort of thing, but uh, more yeah, political. but he, you could see how he was playing that like a serious actor would play it, not like him just playing himself type thing. Exactly. Yeah, and, and it was kind of you could see that, that him on screen when he did the sort of camp. Um, Chancellor episode that got him killed in the end uh, was completely different to him when he's at home and he's quite vulnerable and he's kind of saying to Evie, you know, oh, harboring a terrorist or fugitive isn't as uh, dangerous as you know, my life could be because of my sexuality and because of the fact that I keep like, artifacts related to the banned religions and things. And it was kind of like really, um, yeah, just really well done. So I think from that perspective, I've kind of learned to appreciate Stephen Fry. I think it just maybe it's in other films, people aren't using him right. They're just kind of getting Stephen Fry to play Stephen Fry as opposed to actually doing some proper acting. So it's just a shame that he's not had a chance to sort of do anything like this since. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, so that's my one and uh, honourable mention. Uh, what about you? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, you took my one and then you took my backup in case you took my one. So oh, wow. uh, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, what, what was your reasoning then? I mean, there must be other bits that I didn't mention. Um, I liked so for Finch. I liked um, I liked uh, I liked this speech he gave at the end when he um, 
when he kind of said he uncovered the conspiracy and then he uh, and this is more about the cinematography than the, than the character but i like this scene where he he uh take he kind of spells out how it's all going to happen he says oh imagine if there was this government that wanted to hide this this is what they'll do next and then it showed Sutler sending the army onto the streets and uh doing a um doing a uh um you know uh, fake news to get them get them terrified and stuff and they said oh and then something's going to happen which is going to say it all off and it showed the finger man shooting the little girl with the glasses the geeky little thing um and uh yeah so that was cool just kind of having him put it all together like that doing some real detective slash conspiracy theorist work um and then yeah with 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 um stephen fry's character i just liked the way he was kind of he was he kind of helped move Evie along in her kind of um, character development. I mean, again, it was a little bit on the nose when it showed him getting beaten up and her being right under the bed, exactly like when her parents had been taken away. That was a little bit, okay, gosh, we get it. You don't need to force feed it down our throats. I don't know. Maybe you do need to do it. Cause I probably didn't notice that when I was, uh, when I was watching it first time around, like I said, I was pretty dumb or drunk. Uh, <laughs> or both. But, well, yeah, yeah, that's how I spent most of my early twenties. To be fair, um, but but um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed his character as a whole, just the way he moved the story forward quite well. Um, obviously, Evie and um, uh, V were both great characters as well. Um, but citing any of the, either of those would kind of be easy option. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that those two go without saying, really. It's like we mentioned earlier, they, their acting was on on point in this, and like they, I don't think they could have done their jobs any better, um, EV and V. Um, and yeah, going back to your your Finch type thing, like uh, yeah, that that whole little monologue about how it's all going to play out was genius. And like you know, and what, basically, you know, when they took the masks off at the end, I was just like. Well, why is that girl there? Isn't she dead? So I think maybe I was kind of, uh, you know, I, I took that a bit too seriously, that bit. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I don't know why I felt the need to add to that because it's a brilliantly summarised thing. So uh, <laughs> let's 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 move on. Uh, cool. So um, I think the next item we have there was any possible improvements. Um, I mean, I think I've already mentioned how I think some of it was a little bit too on the nose. It could possibly trust us a, a bit better. I think one point was where Evie came out of um, the bit where V had been kind of um, fooling her into thinking she was under she was under um, arrest and all that. And it showed her standing up and looking into the sky as the as the um, rains come down. And literally, it's intercut with the scenes of V coming out of the fire and doing the same pose. I felt like that was a bit. I was. If I were to do a worse scene, I'd have put that as the worst scene just purely because it needed to trust us a bit more. It didn't need to didn't need to force feed all these all these parallels down our throat. That's probably the main improvement I would come up with for this film. Um, there's several examples. I've mentioned a few of those examples throughout this throughout this recording. Um, so, yeah, a bit too much of that for my liking. Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably good they did do that, because when I watched that scene, I was just like, oh, my God, they're parodying the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, so maybe the test audiences are like, oh, Shawshank. And I'm like, no, no, let's show V burning. All oh, right, OK, I get it now. But yeah, I, I do get your point. It's kind of like, you know, at one point it's meant to be a cranial film, but in the other point they're spoon feeding everyone everything to help them understand things. And yeah, I, I, and I think that leads to my big falling with this, is I think the whole film was too clever for its own good. <laughs> so um, V's verbose verbiage was in vain. Uh, because... <laughs> Basically, no one had a bloody clue what he was on about half the time. And if you're trying to 
you know, say this film was released not just as entertainment, for, but as a way to inspire people to actually start a movement or whatever, or to actually start proactively trying to change society. Having a guy that spouts Shakespearean gibberish uh, is not going to appeal to the masses, is it? So I think, you know, you can't fix this film, but what you could do, or what someone should do, is do a similar film with similar uh, themes and messages and whatever, but with more a more relatable hero that could then... Uh, kind of inspire the everyman to do something um because i think that's where it falls over it's kind of like it you know it kind of works as a dumb pop culture thing where some guy with a mask is toppling the government ha ha and slashes their throats and that's that's what it works for one level and for then there's the other level of the intelligentsia or whatever that can understand the deeper meaning of it all and put, you know enjoy the verbose verbiage of whatever and it's kind of like you know but you want that understanding to go to the other audience it's like yeah he sits sits everyone's throat but there's a reason why he's doing it and this is why you should care about it and this is what you should do about it you know you shouldn't just sit here enjoy the film turn it off and forget about it in five minutes it should resonate with you and i think maybe that is why at the time when i watched it the first time around even though i was a bit of a dumb teen uh, or 20 or whatever i kind of i realized something is wrong with society and uh you know, it kind of resonated the fact that, well, maybe we can do something. Maybe we can make a change. I mean, to be fair, I didn't do much about it. Uh, but it kind of, it's sort of made me think, oh, you know, society is broken or society could potentially be broken. And maybe people have a bigger say or could have a bigger say or should have a bigger say. And I think for ages, my MSN picture, it probably still is because I don't bother changing it, was yeah. the V-mask. Because it was kind of like that was how I saw myself or how I wanted to be. You know, I never went off and did anything. Um, but yeah, I think it. we need a similar film released now to inspire people to make change. You know, whether it's about, you know, the climate, whether it's about, you know, social issues, whether it's about the, the way governments are twisting everything, whatever. Yeah, the funny thing is, a lot there's a lot of theory out there that the the noughties, when this when this came out was actually the uh, we'll look back on the noughties as the peak of civilization. You know, before the financial crash, before um before uh, uh, climate change became a serious issue. Whereas you were already feeling back then like uh, something's not quite right. Whereas yeah. how would people feel now? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I meant by this was released too soon. Like, imagine a film like, you know, this film being released now. It would just like, you know, people would go mad. You know, people would be like, oh, right, yeah, oh, we're up for that. Oh, you know, because yeah. it, there's so much going wrong in the world. And I, I agree with your thing that I think we are, our, you know, this is going a bit deep now, but our generation are probably the last ones to have known that halcyon age of, you know, a pre-internet, because you know, we can vaguely remember pre-internet. We can remember pre-global warming going horrible and basically the storms that we've been having and stuff you know we we are we've lived it we were ad- early adults in that period so you know we're Pretty the last third, third way politics as well what, 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 uh, centrist third way politics old new labor exactly <laughs> yeah basically there was a point where and also yeah when we were i mean we're going off on one now but when we were kids basically you know the world is at peace relatively you know, uh, people, you know, everyone rubbed along. Like, before 9-11, like, uh, there was probably racism out there, but it wasn't as prevailing as it is today. You know, it's, it's just it's just the world, I don't know, the world has gone mad. Um, and this film has brought it all back. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that moves us on to our next uh, talking point, which is the parallels of today's society. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
yes. So I guess you've talked about some of these, but maybe you can, like, uh, you know, throw, throw out there you know, other things that you might have spotted. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I think I kind of touched on it in the in the intro, which is I think this is this is an extreme version of one way society might be going. But on the other hand, you know what? People thought that this was going to be the way society is going with, you know, British politics in the last few years and Boris Johnson coming into power. But then <laughs> he's announced yesterday that he's that he's sacked Sajid Javid because Sajid Javid wasn't going to spend enough money. So it looks like he's going to go the other way and just spend loads of money on everything um yeah but uh, but then other people could argue he's spending money on a uh, high-speed rail link that's going to pollute the country with the construction and the actual trains yeah or and the, bridge across the irish sea as well uh, which is yeah. going to be plowing down into toxic waste and uh, dumped munitions which if you're going to dump munitions don't do it next to scotland for god's sake do it in the atlantic <laughs> or something how lazy yeah. is that or oh, or oh, come on boys let's just dump it in the yeah it'll be all right no one no 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 one's going to think to build a bridge there um Churchill yeah. probably signed off the order himself yeah so, uh, <laughs> one of his whiskey fueled like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah what else can we sign <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we can get him to sign anything right now lads let's just say yeah can we just dump the bombs in the IRC and go home early. Yeah, rah, 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 rah. Yes. We'll find them on the beaches. Rah, rah. Yeah, we'll dump. <laughs> we will dump them on the beaches. <laughs> we will dump um, it in our oceans. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, one thing, one line in there was, uh, and this is kind of moving on to a bit of philosophy of populism, actually. Mm. But I think this all kind of rolls into one. This whole section. Uh, one line in there was they said people shouldn't be afraid of their government. The government should be afraid of their people. But what do you do when the people want the government to do something that ultimately turns out badly? I mean, arguably, the reason we ended up with a hard Brexit was because of the MPs being frightened of the people. So it's all very well to say that as a principle, but populism that's effectively populism government being afraid of its people and populism doesn't tend to result in the kind of revolutions that the people who say that sort of thing probably want if you see what i mean i see where you're getting at so you're basically saying those people that wear the thingy mask and call for revolution and want the government to act are usually lefty lefties um not that it's a problem, but it's like, you know, they're usually on the left wing side, which is kind of, you know, power to the people. Let's be really liberal. Let's be open borders. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Whereas and in that, fact, that sort of view is not the sort of view that governments are scared of. So if you're saying governments are, should be scared of their people. OK, well, what sort of results do you think you're going to get from the people? People yeah, as a whole, populist views end up with all sorts of craziness. So the populist <laughs> ones are the angry ones, the venomous ones, the ones that want action, the ones that want decisive action, not the ones yeah. that want to be open, the ones that want to be accessible, the ones that want to be uh, inclusive and all that stuff. See, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. It's kind of like... It's a great, it's a great soundbite, but, you know, let's look at what's happened in recent years when you've let the people decide, when the government has followed what the people want, when and when the government's followed what the people want, even when the government's thought it's probably not a good idea. Um, I'm setting aside whether or not it is a good idea. Purely thinking, if the people want something different to what the government wants, how has it usually ended up? Yeah. Pretty yeah. opposite to what... Well, closer to a fascist state than it was, put it that way. 
Yeah, and and the other well, yeah, I suppose yeah, with her past thingies. Um, but, <laughs> but the other thing as well is like, well, with our recent things, the people only fifty one percent of people wanted something, but yet they're saying they're using that as the voice of the people, and it's not really the people, is it? It's fifty one percent of the people. It's well, just a, yeah, yeah. It's well, it's a it's a percentage higher, but I don't know. It's just a weird weird one. Um, yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know where to how to. Yeah, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. It's yeah, you can't so, you can't go on. Yeah, you can't. You can say, oh, the government should always listen to the people, but or the government should always be frightened of the people. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, you can't always control what those people can ask the governments do. And it was all very nicey nice in V for Vendetta. Oh, I was lucky that the people wanted rid of these these fascists. Um, but at yeah. the same time, uh, I think it did. It did say that the people voted them in in the first place and yeah that was as a result of all the lying and then uh, the um terror the staged terrorist attacks and stuff yeah absolutely um and you know what well, maybe maybe we've got these people in as a result of 350 million a week for the nhs on the side of a bus uh, there's <laughs> certainly some parallels there um and also we're gonna be able to trade with whoever we like and the eu's gonna come and lick our boots uh, you know is it it's possibly being disingenuous or just mistaken or whatever which is obviously a bit different from killing tens of thousands of school kids like they did in beef vendetta but... there were tens of thousands wasn't school kids i think it's like 350 was... school kids and tens of thousands of um other people like from yeah. a water source wasn't it but yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah i mean but still i see what you see it basically the only reason norse fire got in was because of the fact that they created this fake terror attack and Norse Fire was meant to be like an extreme version of the Tory party. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I think Spitzy said that, didn't they? Sutler, Sutler was a... Um... Julia Tory MP. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so I think, you know, like, just when we were talking about parallels of today's society, we've already touched upon the fact that they used that as a, well, and they used fake news as a way to scare the society into compliance. Um so, you know, fear of uh, the right, fear of terror, no, fear of terrorism, fear of the other, rise of the right is a thing that's parallel with these days. Yeah, they, yeah. they mentioned America self-destructing. And I know you say that's kind of, that could be fake news, but also America is currently self-destructing in terms of their politics and in terms of their, you know, policies and things. Um, the rise of isolationism, that's another parallel with today, isn't it? Because basically, you know, at least on Britain's terms and America's terms, we're sort of shutting the uh the hatches um well it could be seen as that or it could be seen as we're being open to the rest of the world and against the eu or something um yeah, but, you know, it's all sweet seesaws and you've got isolationism versus protectionism yeah stuff like that yeah but also like like the eastern countries are kind of blocking their borders because they don't want more migrants in and stuff like that so you know there's yeah. a lot there's a lot going on that parallels what's happening today um yeah. i mean did, did you have any more about the philosophy i mean i, I always love it when you talk about philosophy uh, <laughs> uh, I think that was mostly it, just the, the, the political philosophy around um, whether populism is really something to be uh, lauded or not. Um, yeah, that was, sorry, that's all I had to this week. But... Oh, no worries. I mean, what about the idea of, um, you know, do you think that some of the messages from this film deserve to be reset or restated or to be uh, put out there today to help people f- start thinking about this stuff like i know you you're like we don't want to government to be scared of the people because they might make extreme choices but on the other hand they should be accountable to the people for the choices that they do make because a lot of the time governments do kind of say one thing and do another 
or they promise something and never deliver or they you know because basically when you look at all the politicians apart from recently where corbyn went completely left field like really far left field they're all basically promising the same thing you know and it's just variables of the same no one's doing anything particularly extreme or particularly good or bad um, Look, at the moment, our politicians are accountable to us. They come and they're accountable to us at most every five years. Um, yeah, but are they really? It's like, you know, all you've got is two options, really. And if you don't like the other option, then you'll just stick with the option that's in power because it's easy. And if the option yeah. in power knows that the other option is not going to get in, they won't bother doing anything. It's like, well, I mean, and also they've been a limp duck for however many years. But it's just stuff like, you know, we've got a housing crisis. Government should build more houses, you know, build them faster, you know, build them out of bloody shopping trolleys. I don't know. Don't care. Yeah. Uh, we've got a climate like, crisis. The Chinese managed to build a hospital in one week. So, yeah, exactly. You know, just get some of them over. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you've got like, you know, uh, we've got like the climate crisis, you know. OK, we're just one tiny country. But if we've, you know, if we've energy got plow on the world stage, do something about it. Don't just like. And it just seems like government, not just on a single country level, but like the powers that be on a global level, are just so oblivious to some of the, you know, some of the big things that's happening. And it just, it's just business as usual. And I suppose it's not just government, it's also businesses as well. Like, I think nowadays we've gone away from the governments being in power to be big business in power, isn't it? So I think, you know, the same storyline could be played out against super corporations to basically own all our data and basically just you know, preach to us about bad plastic, but then spend millions of pounds on creating little plastic baggies to put your iPhone in when you um, take it out of the box and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, this stuff needs to be challenged. This stuff, you know, people need to start thinking about this stuff if we want the world to be a better place. And I know, I know you're into the environment and I think uh, maybe you've not been as able to be as much re recently because of uh, the new addition to your household and you're ta taxing well, yeah, as a big parent yeah. and environmentalist. But it's just like, you know, if this stuff isn't solved soon, it won't be solved. You know, we'll end up with a completely different type of society. I claim to be an environmentalist, and I did the least environmentally friendly thing which is possible to do, which was have a kid. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, what's that? Because it's adding extra burden to the world and all that jazz. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, carbon emissions. That. Yeah, but to be fair, your your kid is going to be brilliant. Um, so he's going to be able to solve society. Solve, yeah, solve solve problems. Wheels. Yeah. Basically, just just buy him a uh, um, what do you call it? Guy Fawkes mask now, and <laughs> show him this film every year on his birthday or something. He'd be like, "Well, there you go. That's your that's your goal. You're going to go off and start a revolution and save the world." Yeah. Um, and clad, you know, in, clad in merchandise that where the money goes straight into Warner Brothers' pocket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll make a slightly not a slightly different mask. That's uh, yeah. slightly, le you know, doesn't breach any copyrights. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Warner Bros and all that stuff was our next talking point, wasn't it? So we'll move on to that. Um, I, think, I think I just wanted to point out how ironic it was how anarchists decided after watching this film that, that like, you know, how anonymous use it as their as their style icon, and when in reality it's just it's just um, putting money into a corporation, Warner Brothers. It's like like how somehow Apple phones. <laughs> turned into countercultural uh, merchandise in some way. You know, if you're using Apple, you're, you're wonderfully liberal and all that, even though they're one of the f top five companies in the world on the, on the big five. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a usual rant I like to go on, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, as a counterpoint to that, um, <laughs> you know, 
in the film, V didn't seek fame. He was anonymous because he was representing the people and representing the idea that society is broken and people need to work together to fix it. So people are going out and buying a mask because they bought into that. You know, yeah. so it's not necessarily the fact that, oh, we're anti-corporation, man. You know, yeah, okay, you're anti-corporation, but the same side, same side you want to associate with something and that's something uh, that hooked people, these people, is V. And fair enough, it's going to put some money in Warner Brothers' pocket, but it also means that you can show the other people of a similar mindset that you're like them. So it's a way of those finding their finding their tribe or whatever. Um, so what better way to do that than wearing a V mask? And it's the same as me wearing a Star Trek T-shirt, a Wolverine T-shirt, or a Star Wars T-shirt, whatever it is. It you know it starts a conversation. I mean, obviously these guys don't walk around V masks all the time, but when they go when they go to their events, whatever, they can dress up, they can pretend. Um, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan or something. And um, it's just, yeah, it just gives people an opportunity to express themselves. And yeah, what's it going to cost? Like 20 quid, something like that. So it's it's a it's an investment in themselves and their beliefs. It's like buying a, I don't know, not a Bible, but it, it, it's like buying something that, like an icon. If you're religious, you buy an icon, don't you? It's a similar thing. So, you know, where's the icon money go to? It goes to... Whoever builds makes the icon. You know, this just goes to Warner Brothers, who's this equivalent of an icon maker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just describing V as a uh, religious figure now. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people I think a lot of people are just looking for icons in some way. And some people find that through religion and other people find it through following, you know, you know, certain pop cultural icons or golden calves. Yeah, Jedi's, uh, you know, uh, Pokemon can be anything. You know, the Jedi religion. Yeah, uh, but, to, but to be fair, I think like when you compare all of those to V, I think V has a point. It's kind of like all the other ones, like oh, I'm a Jedi because you know it's not real. It's just make believe. <laughs> you know, I'm a Jedi because it someone because it was a joke on a census a few years ago or something exactly yeah i can fill in a box to say i've got senses can you control things with your mind no do you have a laser <laughs> sword no um you know are you going around helping people as like a journeyman uh adventurer no so what how are you a jedi then what makes you a jedi nothing apart from ticking a census box if you're a, a sort of a thief of vendetta person you know even if you don't buy a mask if you're working actively to topple the government well not topple the government but you know highlight injustices then you can associate with that and it makes more sense. You know, I wear a Wolverine t-shirt, doesn't mean I'm Wolverine. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm, I think I'm wearing it right now. Uh, but with Viva Vendetta, you know, you can be V. Everyone can be V. V is everyone, and that's the point. And it's kind of, you know, whether you've got the mask or not, if you start acting in a way that can benefit society and, you know, make the, keep, hold, the, hold, hold, hold the powers that be accountable, then you are V. You know, you don't have to tick a silly box to say you're V. Or just say you're V, even though you're not really V. You know, you get what I'm saying. You yeah. know, it's, it's not an idol in the sense of a golden calf. It's an idol in the sense of uh, a way for people to come together and believe in a common good and a way for them to uh, represent that in a way that people understand. Yeah. God, I really did like this film. It's, uh, yeah, it did. I'm, I'm amazed. We're actually bumping <clears throat> up on, the, on our pretty tight time limit uh so we'll probably need to wrap this up uh, oh yeah yeah we don't oh wow okay yeah um 
yeah sorry about that um no no it's good it's good it, it, um, i hope everyone enjoyed listening to it so yeah let's uh let's prorogue this bad boy which obviously is the first step to a fascist society and um yeah i'll tell you what i know what do you know uh, uh, something something of an arse Erica yeah I don't know I was just, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just pretending to be that bloke but anyway um, yeah. I enjoyed his character as well actually was, <laughs> cool. was, yeah uh, but anyway we'll keep it short and sweet thanks for listening guys and we'll keep it tighter next week <laughs> adios and uh, yeah watch out on Instagram etc for what next week's film will be next fortnight Viva Cheers. forever <laughs> I'm going to start singing that now <laughs>